0: Welcome to Trinity Presbyterian Church, Owasso, sermon podcast. Grace changes everything. Riding into the sunset is a famous Western motif. Cowboys riding off into the beauty of the setting sun. Did you know? Any of you ever seen uh, John Wayne, The Cowboys, 1972? Anybody ever seen that? It's a great coming-of-age movie about uh, a man whose name is Will Anderson, who is a cowboy who is in Montana at the time, and all of his cowhands leave him, and he is stuck with this cattle herd that he has to take down uh, to Texas, and and he finds himself with a massive problem. The cattle drive is leaving in a week, and he has no cowhands to help him, and so. He goes into Bozeman, and he finds this little schoolhouse. And the schoolhouse is full of these these young boys. And if you've seen the movie, you know that he takes these boys, and he teaches them how to become men. He puts them on horses, and he saddles them up. And in the real movie, six of them were city boys who would never ridden a horse, and four of them were country boys who grew up all their life on a horse. And there's a scene in the movie that is a beautiful scene where you see them ride off right off into the sunset, and um, when, when Mark Rydell, who directed and produced the film, was making the film, they only had a small amount of time to get this shot, and they couldn't quite get it. The haze was too great for the camera quality at the time, and so in his, in his what, they appeared, what appeared to be frustration, Mark Rydell said to everybody, all right, stop. We're done for the day. And he sent these boys, and he told John Wayne and the rest of the actors to to head home. He goes, I want everybody to go. We're done for the night. I want you here in the morning, two hours before sunrise, fully ready for the next scene. Be dressed. And so these young boys, 10, 11, 12 years old, go home and get some sleep. And they get dressed that morning and come back to the set. And they come back to the set knowing it's going to be an incredibly long day because to be there two hours before sunrise was far earlier than they had been asked to come before. And these boys tell the story in their 50th anniversary of this movie, where they look at the set and they notice something was, was different, that, that Mark Rydell, the director, had taken every piece of that set and turned it completely the other way around. The cameras were facing the other way, and the, the, the set was facing east rather than west. And when they get there, Mark Rydell says, okay, I want you to ride off into the sunset, but it's not going to be the sunset. I want you to ride east. And so in that great film, when they're riding off into the sunset, it is actually early in the morning, and these boys and John Wayne are riding off into the sunrise. And when you read Revelation chapter 11, it is the heart of the heart of the heart of Revelation. Revelation. It is a picture of what happens later in Revelation 20 and 21. It is a picture of God's kingdom reigning and ruling with power. And it's as though God has taken the powers of the world and He has completely reoriented them toward His greater glory. And He has said, I'm going to reorient your life for my glory, where He judges the world and He sets things right once again. And God, in a sense, tells us as Christians, you're not riding off into the sunset as believers in Christ, you're actually riding off into the sunrise. Because there's a new day that will come when Christ will come again. And and riding off as cowboys into the sunrise only makes sense, right? I mean, what are they going to do? Ride two miles and go, well, I guess we're going to break camp for the night? They have a whole day of vanquishing their enemies, a whole day of adventure, a whole day of challenge. And so we also as Christians, when we come to the book of Revelation, we come to a book that says, friends, you are writing off, and not to the end, but to the beginning of something far more beautiful than you could ever have imagined. Take out your sermon outline with me, and I want you to learn, number one, the main point of Revelation 11, 15 through 19, is that God's kingdom is supreme over all earthly powers. God's kingdom is supreme over all earthly powers. Now in John's vision in Revelation chapter 11, it serves as kind of an overture for everything that happens after chapter 11 in the book of Revelation. And he has this vision of where the seventh angel blows his trumpet and there are loud voices in heaven. It's a picture of completeness. And it says, the kingdom of the world, agoneto in Greek, has become. It's a verb that's in the aorist, indicative, middle voice, third person singular. It means that God's rule and reign has begun. And that God does the judo move that we all long for Him to do. It is the move where He takes the energy and the efforts and all of the world's power-seeking and he actually uses, uses that for his good. Any of you ever, I know some of you do jujitsu in the room. Any of you ever done judo? You know, in judo, the old Japanese martial art, you know, the, the, the power of judo is actually from the power of your opponent, where you use their force and their energy for your good. And so also Revelation chapter 11, it says the kingdom of the world All the world's riches, the political power grabs, all the sin in the world that pursues satisfaction outside of Christ. God uses to magnify his own kingdom, the kingdom of our Lord, that is a reference to the Father and of his Christ, the Son. And he will reign forever and ever. In Greek, it says he will reign to the ages and the ages Amen? And our greatest obstacle to celebrating with confidence, our greatest obstacle is that we find a hundred other things to put our confidence in besides His victory. But as Christians, in your notes, number one, we are to put our confidence in His victory. Put your confidence in His victory. Put your confidence in His victory for the healing of your marriage. Put your confidence in His victory for the loneliness that you feel and the friendships. Put your confidence in His victory that He is calling us desperate, desperate people to become something beautiful in this place called the church. With all of our radical differences, He's calling us to be one. And our greatest obstacle of celebrating with confidence His victory is, is, is not our defeat against sin, not our helplessness we feel against sin, but it's our complacency and our distraction. The hardest part about being a minister who preaches every Sunday is that, man, you just feel like God is preaching to you all week as you get ready for this passage. When I was thinking about the way that I grow Uh, complacent and distracted. You know, there's that passage in Exodus 32. You remember when Moses and Joshua are coming down from uh, Mount Sinai, and they have the tablets that are written on both sides, the Ten Commandments. And they're coming down, and they find God's people there, and, and it says in Exodus 32, verse 17, when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But Moses said, it's not the sound of shouting for victory. It's not the sound of a cry of defeat. It's the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came down near the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing. In other words, it wasn't the cry of victory or the awareness of their defeat. It was that they were distracted by worship of a golden calf. And Moses's anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hand and broke them, oops, at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf that they had made, and he burned it with fire, and he ground it to powder, and he scattered it on the water. And he made the people of Israel drink their idolatry, drink the water. There's a, uh, some of you know that when I was in college, I lived in India between my junior and senior year uh, of college in that summer, and there was a man I met there, um, who said, Do you know the difference between Christians in India and in America? He said, The difference is that in India, when we profess our faith in Jesus, they take us out to the foothills of the Himalayas, and they cut our head off. In America, Satan takes you out to the suburbs, and he gives you a thousand paper cuts until one day you wake up and notice that you're bleeding to death because you never felt the pain. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of God, so we are to put our confidence in His victory. Not in our self-saving strategies, not in the joys of all that we have in modern life, but in what He has accomplished for us because the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of the Lord and of His Christ. Hallelujah when Moses was giving instructions for people to go to war in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 20. He writes that when you go to war against your enemies, you see the horses and the chariots and an army larger than your own. Don't be afraid of them, for the Lord your God will be with you. He who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and when you draw near to battle, the priests will come and they will speak to the people, and, they, and he will say to them, Hear, Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts be faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you the victory. He gives you the victory. And we are not culture warriors, but we are very much in a war, aren't we? a war against the sin that so enrages our own hearts and in our own families. And we are those who are prepared, even now we are prepared for a spiritual battle against the evil forces of darkness which seek to wage war on his church. And later Moses says, if there's any officers among the people who built a new house and has not dedicated it, let let him go back and dedicate his house lest he die in battle and another man dedicate it. If there's any man who has planted a vineyard and has not enjoyed its fruit, let him go back to the house. And then he says, and the officers shall speak further to the people and say, if there's any man who's fearful and faint-hearted, let him go back to his house and lest he melt the heart of his fellows and they melt before their enemies. Listen, if there are any of you who struggle to believe the gospel, we want you, we want you to continue to come to worship. But we want you to be able to rest in what he has done for you. And those of you who are men of renown and courage, we need you to remind the younger brothers spiritually in this room and younger sisters spiritually in the room that our God will fight for us because there's a lot of people in this room who look out into the world. And they are overwhelmed by the future For their children and of His church. But the Lord your God will fight for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Listen, our church was established in 2013. The oldest church in this city was established in 1885. And that means that you do the math. That in 2140, when this church is able to celebrate God's faithfulness For all these many years, we will say that it was not our self-saving strategies or it was not by our might, but the Lord gave us victory. Hallelujah. But it takes a village. And brothers, sisters, please hear me that you are called to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ. You do not come as automatons in your little enclosed transport vehicles called cars to this church to sit within your little bubble in these pews and then to leave and wonder, how did Jesus speak just to me? But he speaks to you through the people that you've hugged during the passage of the peace and who you'll encourage after this sermon. He uses you in profound ways because the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Hallelujah. Johnny Cash tells, uh, there's a story in uh, Walk the Line, which is the story of, of Johnny Cash's uh, life and, and, and marriage, and there's a, there's a passage where Johnny Cash goes to Folsom uh, Prison. Some of you have seen this, and um, his, his, uh, this prison is full of rapists and, and, and thieves and the worst kind of criminals. And... Um, In California, you know, his agent says to him before the show, he says, Johnny, this is not a good PR move. Like, your audience are good people. They're nice folks. They're church-going Christians. They are not going to like you hanging out and singing to these kind of folks. And Johnny Cash without missing a beat says, well, then, they don't sound like Christians to me. If you have not been misunderstood for your faith, then there's a good chance that you aren't living it, as the Lord calls us to live with confidence in his victory. Because people from the left will look at you and say you are far too conservative, and people from the right will look at you and say, because you care for the needs of the poor and you're so generous, you are far too liberal. We look at those churches in the Northeast. Isn't it staggering that churches in the Northeast already are like being used for other things than churches, isn't it so sad? Like, it breaks your heart. It thinks, you know, we saw that in, you see that in Scotland, you see that in England, you see that in Europe, but not not in America. And then you see it in the Northeast. And we wonder, oh my gosh, that could never happen here. Anybody read the paper this morning? D1, the first Church of Christ scientist, beautiful building in downtown. It mm. could have been a beautiful church plant. Church of Christ scientists, by the way, are not Trinitarian. They are not Christian. They have this beautiful building in the cathedral district of downtown, and it a church building is fixing to become a music venue in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So you think that it just exists in Europe. It just exists in the Northeast or in California. Mm, not in the heartland, but welcome. Welcome to a secularized age where we are called as God's people to live out the gospel. It's going to take confidence in His victory. Amen? Not only does it take confidence in His victory, but second, the kingdom of the triune God gives you greater security than anything and is worth more than any sacrifice. The kingdom of the triune God gives you greater security than anything and is worth more than any sacrifice. He would ask of you. When Jesus is teaching the parable, just after the parable we looked at last week, he says the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure buried in a field. And what did he do? In his joy, he sold everything he had. Watch car, house, he sold everything he had and he bought the field. And he did it in his joy because the kingdom of God gives you greater security than anything and is worth more than any sacrifice. In Ephesians Uh, chapter 6, it says, Finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand up against the devil and of his schemes. We need confidence for that battle, and we need security knowing that even though we go to war, you have brothers and sisters who are there in the battle with you. You know, in the armor in Ephesians chapter 6, I've said this before, what is the only part of the body that's not covered by the armor of God? It's the back. Why? Because in Roman times, when the centurions would fight, they would fight in a circle. If you've seen Gladiator, you've seen, you've seen the way that they fight in a circle. And you have each other's back. And I wonder if you do. Do we know that the kingdom of God is the source of our security? It's greater than anything we could ever possibly want to be secure in. It's greater than your 401k kingdom of God, the security that God provides, is greater than paying off your house, greater than buying a house, greater than selling a house, better than anything, because He has accomplished for us through His death and resurrection our victory. Hallelujah. We give thanks to You, Lord God Almighty, it says, who is and who was. You have taken Your great power, and You have begun to reign. The nation's Raged, it says in Psalm chapter 2. This is an overture to Psalm chapter 2 where it says the nations rage and the kingdoms of the earth take their stand against the Lord and against His anointed one and they say, let us throw off our fetters. Let us throw off our chains and they scoff at the Lord. And then it says, He rebukes them in His anger and He terrifies them in His wrath and He says, as for me, I have set My king on Zion, my holy hill, and I will tell of the decree that you are my son, and today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession, and you shall break them with a rod of iron. When John is writing this, he's thinking back to Psalm chapter 2, and you will dash them in pieces like the potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise." Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling, because one day all your efforts to accumulate power for yourself will be used to magnify the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. Kiss the Son, it says in Psalm 2, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. But blessed are all those who take refuge in Him. When Jesus um, ministers on earth, He heals a, a, a man who had a, a withered hand, and all the Pharisees gather their ire and anger at Jesus. And Jesus, aware of this, He withdrew from them, and many followers followed Him, it says, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 15. And He ordered His disciples not to make Him known, and this is what was done in order to fulfill what Isaiah says. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I'll put my spirit upon him. And he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles, and he will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the street, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench, and he will bring justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will have hope. And the Pharisees, Jews, were so enraged that Jesus would suggest that Isaiah was calling them to extend the gospel to those ethne, the Gentiles, that the next phase says that they accused him of being possessed by Beelzebub. And that's why, friends, we we cannot talk about the transforming power of the gospel in this day and age without remembering that it centers upon the one who came, who defied our categories. And we expect a mighty ruler to come and quench and vanquish all of the injustice of the world now. But he says, oh, in Advent, you're called to wait. And you're to look to His second advent when he will come again. Because he has promised us greater security and that he gave his life for us on the cross. And that he died as a criminal, born in a cattle stall, lived a perfect life and died for your sake, and he knew your name on the cross. Not the person next to you only, he knew your name. And he knows exactly what you're going through this very moment, and He wants to say to you that your greatest security is found in my victory. You are more secure in me than you could be in anything. And it is worth more than any sacrifice. In the mornings, I I read through these letters that John Newton, uh, who was a pastor in the 18th century, wrote Amazing Grace. And Adam taught me this week that there's a hundred verses in Amazing Grace, something like that. That's ama- I didn't know that. That is amazing. And John Newton was writing letters to a nobleman, and in one of his letters he, he writes in April of 1774, he says, "'Well, then, may the believers say, let them, let them laugh at us. Let them, if they please, point at us as a fool as we walk in the streets.'" If I do not but take up the Bible and run over in my mind the inventory of the blessings with which the Lord has enriched me, I, am, I have sufficient amends for a day such as this. The Lord is mine. I am Him. And in Him I have wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption and interest in all the promises and all the perfections of God. He will guide me by His counsel. He will support me by His power." Comfort me in his presence while I am here. And afterwards, when flesh and heart fail, he will receive me into glory. That is our story and that is our truth. If you kept read, reading in the book of Revelation, you get to chapter 11, chapter 12, and it gets real fun. You get this woman who is a picture of the church and a picture of Mary who gives birth, and you have this dragon who represents Satan, and you have this battle, and, and here is this, this woman about to give birth to the Savior of the world in Revelation chapter 12. And it's as, as the Lord to say, hey, I'm going to show you what it means to have security in Christ because I have done it. I've come in the incarnation And Jesus has come as a baby, and he has defeated the dragon. He has vanquished Satan once and for all. And though we live in space and time now before his return, we can have confidence that he will one day vanquish all of the evil of injustice that all that Satan has brought upon us, and that he will accomplish the victory that he promised for us. This is your story. Do you know it? And so be careful not to sentimentalize Jesus in this season, in your gift-giving and in your wrapping of presents. Because Jesus is a baby, yes! But in His incarnation, He came as a mighty warrior to defeat the dragon, Revelation chapter 12. And He has defeated our greatest enemies of sin and death once for all for us, that we might be able to proclaim in this local church That God's kingdom is supreme over all earthly powers, and so we put our confidence in His victory. Amen? And that the kingdom of the triune God gives us greater security than anything, and is worth more than any sacrifice. For in the first advent, He took on flesh. And we await his second advent when he will vanquish all worldly powers in the full revelation of his kingdom. And we come to the table this morning in that great confidence. Hallelujah. Let's pray.